Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash my money health check. Hello and welcome to the Witch Shorts podcast. I'm Rob Lilly. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to tell you about a very special podcast we're planning for over Christmas. Now, it's going to be a big end-of-year Q&A where we'll do our best to answer any burning questions you may have on any of the topics we've covered here on Witch Shorts or on our other two podcasts, that's Witch Money and Witch Investigates. Now, nothing is off-limits, so if you do have a question, then please email us, podcasts at witch uk. That's podcasts at witch.co.uk. Now though, on to this week's episode, and in it we take a look at the idea of self-insuring. What does it mean? Does it offer the protection you need? And how much could it cost you in the long run? To release this article, written by Dean Sobers, I'll hand you over to the host of the Witch Money podcast, Lucia Ariano. It's been a challenging year, with rising prices forcing many to set spending priorities. One expenditure that some have deprioritised is insurance cover. Our survey of 1,025 witch members from August 2022 found that since January, nearly one in ten that owned insurance have cancelled cover because of increased living expenses. A similar proportion reduced cover for insurance they still own. So is insurance something you can afford to compromise on? The answer isn't clear-cut, but in some cases there are strong arguments for self-insuring as a cost-effective alternative. Instead of paying insurance premiums, you put money into a dedicated savings account to cover the costs of potential incidents. We explore what products people are cutting back on, where self-insuring is and isn't a good alternative, and how to make it work. As well as checking in with which members, we surveyed 2,000 members of the public in August, asking what specific insurance products they'd cut back on in the past year. Those mentioned most included pet insurance and annual travel insurance. Some 12% of pet insurance owners had either reduced or cancelled cover. The same overall proportion had cut annual travel cover, with 9% ditching their policies and 3% downgrading them. Not everyone who trimmed insurance had done so purely to curb expenses. Many simply no longer needed cover. Almost half of those who'd cancelled or reduced annual travel insurance cover cited this as their main reason. This isn't surprising given that overseas holidays have become less common. Nonetheless, considerable numbers of policyholders who cut back did so primarily to reduce outgoings. This includes a fifth of those reducing annual travel cover and a third of those cropping their pet insurance. And while fewer people overall had cut down on contents insurance, four in ten of them gave reducing expenses as the main reason. Insurance is designed to help you when disaster strikes. 
Fortunately, disaster doesn't usually strike that often. Most people who own popular types of insurance will claim at most one to three times over the course of 10 years. And you're unlikely to ever claim on some insurance types. If you've never claimed or the value of any claims is low, it could be easy to view insurance as expendable. With some insurance, we'd probably agree. For example, unless you value the peace of mind mobile phone insurance offers, the chances of needing to claim on it and the likely size of a potential claim means you can probably do without. But with some insurance, such simple calculations don't take into account the huge potential value of the protection. Good examples are home, car, and if you travel, some forms of travel insurance. Without cover, you're making a bet you might not be able to afford to lose. Take home insurance. Your house is unlikely to burn to the ground, but if it were to happen, the cost of rebuilding and replacing destroyed possessions could easily spiral into hundreds of thousands of pounds. The stakes aren't this high with all insurance though, and some which members, through choice or necessity, have instead decided to self-insure. To self-insure properly, you make regular deposits into a dedicated savings pot, using this to pay for incidents you'd have otherwise made insurance claims for. There are no policy limits, excesses or sneaky small print, and if you don't claim, your quid's in. But there's also the risk that if something happens, you won't have enough money saved. So let's see how a saver could use self-insuring to replace, for example, breakdown, dental and dog insurance. Over 10 years, our saver places the equivalent of the insurance premiums they would have paid into savings instead. For each insurance type, they use this fund to cover either a relatively minor set of mishaps or a more serious series of incidents. For each scenario, we calculated whether the self-insurer would spend less overall than they would have by taking out insurance, including typical excess payments and policy limits, plus whether they'd need to top up their savings to cover any claims. To keep things simple, we've disregarded inflation of insurance premiums and the cost of paying for incidents and savings interest. Let's start with dental cover. According to the Office for National Statistics, the average household spends roughly £109 a year, £2.10 a week, on private dental costs. This makes the value of a £225 annual dental insurance policy questionable, especially if it caps contributions towards treatment. Scenario 1. By saving the equivalent amount, our hypothetical patient would be left with £515 after 10 years of annual checkups, plus one filling, one crown, one emergency surgery and two dental cleans. Scenario 2. Dialing up the dental visits, we assumed our patient would need treatments or scans each year, as well as five cleans. Here, the savings fund faltered. To meet costs, they'd have needed £1,135 more than they'd saved. However, even if they'd been insured, payouts would have been limited, often to only 50% of the treatment, leaving them to pay £1,218 on top of their premiums. They'd have therefore saved £83 by self-insuring. Our verdict is that self-insurance ultimately wins in both cases. Now, with breakdown cover, you're paying for a dependable service in emergencies, but purely in terms of counting pennies, self-insuring could add up. Our driver puts £96 each year into savings, roughly the cost of a roadside assistance plus home breakdown policy. Scenario 1. Over 10 years, our driver pays a total of £555 to call out breakdown services in years 2, 5 and 8. Their savings easily accommodate this, with £405 remaining. 
Scenario two, one more breakdown prone driver has to pay 825 pounds for five call outs in total. Overall, this leaves 135 pounds of their 960 10 year savings. However, thanks to two breakdowns in consecutive years, the second of which is a pricier motorway recovery in year five, they have to top up earlier than planned to cover a temporary £75 shortfall. Our verdict again sees self-insurance come out top. With pet insurance, the best solution is less clear-cut. Our dog lover puts £408 each year into savings to help pay for any treatment Fido might need. Scenario 1. After three uncomplicated vet bills spread evenly over 10 years, Fido's owner is left with £2,167 in the bank. If they'd paid for insurance, they'd be worse off by this amount, plus an extra £300 paid in annual excesses. Scenario 2. Fido's first two treatments are, again, uncomplicated. But what happens next illustrates the impact of a single serious claim. In year 10, Fido needs a hip replacement costing £9,000. His owner savings are more than £6,000 short. Had he been insured, the policy would have only contributed £3,920 towards the cost, thanks to caps, excesses and co-payments. But our insured dog lover would still have been £880 better off after year 10. This time, the verdict on which option is best depends on the severity of the claims. While our scenarios often favour self-insurance on paper, consider whether it's right for you. You'll be taking on risk that would otherwise be the insurer's. Even if your combined 10-year savings would be enough to cover costs overall, bad timing of a pricey incident may cause you short-term cash flow issues. At worst, you might end up being unable to get the right treatment for your pet, for example, because of a lack of resources. There's no foolproof way of predicting events, but you could explore typical costs of incidents and how they might add up. You might choose to save more than the equivalent of insurance premiums to allow for worst case scenarios and be ready to adjust if circumstances change. For example, as your pet ages and becomes more illness prone. Be disciplined, keep your self-insurance fund ring fence from other savings and stay on top of regular deposits. And finally, try to keep your fund growing, even if you can't consistently deposit the same amount. Thank you to Lucia and to Dean Sobers too, whose original work was published in the November issue of The Witch Money magazine. Now remember you can find more articles that you'll find useful every day on everything from money and tech to home and garden advice by signing up to one of our many free email newsletters. And you can do that at witch.co.uk forward slash newsletters. We'll be back next week for another episode of Witch Shorts and thanks for listening. Witch Shorts was produced by me, Rob Lilly, while the exec producer was Angus Farker.